It's an Arsenal Thing podcast with your hosts, Tom, Silent Dave, Isaiah, and Jay. Fun, football, and conversation. Football is back. Welcome to It's an Arsenal Thing podcast. I'm your host, Tom, and I'm in the company once again of the one and only Silent Dave. A man who makes no sound and leaves no trace, like the Scarlet Pimpernel of podcasting. He's only just speaking to me again uh, via a whiteboard after a prank I played on him last weekend. Those that are familiar with the show will know that Dave doesn't speak or appear. And when he's out and about, when he's with me and we're having photographs done, he wears a paper bag on his head. Well, I misled him slightly into thinking we were going to do a photo shoot for a calendar. And we went around Dover to various places of interest, um, all these different locations to take pictures, basically to get him to wear a bag on his head in public. There he was posing nicely in a sort of smouldering yet effortless George Clooney style when this cocky looking teenager swan passed and said to his mate, who's the dick in the bag? <laughs> Which wasn't very well received, but it did take me about five minutes or so to stop laughing and get off the floor. Dave didn't come around the house for about three days, but he's all right now. And in five years time he'll probably see the funny side of it before we start let's just mention the sad passing of Gerd Müller born 3rd of November 1945 he played for Bayern Munich from 1964 to 79 453 appearances 398 goals he obviously won lots of titles during his career but let's look at the other orbs European Cup 73 to 74 74 to 75 and 75 to 76 European Cup Winners Cup 66 to 67 Intercontinental Cup 1976 and for West Germany as it was back then FIFA World Cup 1974, UEFA European Championship 1972. He also won the individual awards such as the Ballon d'Or 1970, Footballer of the Year 1967 and 69. We were also saddened by the death of comedian Sean Locke who died aged just 58. What a cracking talent he was. 
On a more positive note, let's mention former Arsenal legend and captain Tony Adams, who took to LinkedIn to announce officially I'm an all-timer today at 5pm on the 16th of the 8th, 1996. I took my last alcoholic drink. 25 years of peace and serenity later, I would just like to thank all those recovering addicts that freely carried the message of recovery to me. Thank God I surrendered and asked for help. So why the music Animal by Def Leppard? It's because episode 21 season 2 is entitled Keep the change you filthy animal which is a tribute to the 1990 money spinning film Home Alone featuring Michael Jackson's soft play friend Macaulay Corkin and it's also a reference to the lack of good old fashioned menace or oomph, as we call it round here, at the Emirates. Yes, dear Podders, Arsenal lacked discernible oomph. Patrick Vieira had oomph. For those further back, Peter Storey had oodles of oomph. Big Sol Campbell, who often single-handedly chastised hurricanes and shamed volcanoes into inactivity, had tons of oomph. Oomph, by our definition, is the grit and determination to fight for the ball and the team. On the menu tonight, Arsenal's all-important second game against the bottomless pit of Russian rubles known as Chelsky, with Isaiah on American Arsenology. Jay joins me in the gun room for a discussion on all things Arsenal, news, opinions and views, plus transfer catch-up. Aaron Ramsdale and Martin Odegaard are the latest acquisitions. Is that it or are there more? Are they value for money or not? What about all the hubbub on social media? Jay gives us his take. Our guest tonight is freelance broadcaster, author and former chief football reporter for Sky News. Nick Collins is on the pod. Round of applause, please. So looking forward to that. We've got the usual fascinating facts. There's a game of Arsenal Countdown where we ask you questions. You've got 30 seconds to argue the toss with someone. There's the musical icon slot and the results of the best Arsenal team goal ever, which we placed on various social media outlets. We gave you six options, but we were open to suggestions and you gave us one that was a rat's whisker away from the top three. The list was from the following. Ramsey versus Fulham, 2018. Wilshire versus Norwich, 2014. Riziki v Sunderland, 2014. Sunderland versus Man United, 1979. George versus Liverpool, 1971. And Thomas versus Liverpool, 1989. Football is back and a plague is upon us, which obviously means the return of the half and half scarf. What's your thoughts, please? Do you own one? Would you wear one? How would you react if you got one as a present? Is it a major collectible or a hideous cross-pollination? Silent Dave was given one and took it straight to the charity shop, saying it offended his neck. What's your opinion? It's an Arsenal thing for at gmail.com. Petter Cech looked me up on LinkedIn. Yeah, the goalkeeping legend sneaked a peek at my profile. But I doubt it's going to go any further. Not after you lot failed to put him in our top 10 list of the greatest Arsenal goalkeepers ever. Not a whiff. You couldn't even pop him in at number 10 instead of Lucas Flappy Hansky. Absolutely selfish. By the way, Petr Cech came in at number six in Sports Bible's top 10 goalkeepers of all time. 90 minutes list has shovel-handed Pat Jennings at number 14, Petr Cech at number 16, and David Seaman at number 25 in the 25 greatest goalkeepers of all time. That must be a typo, surely. Cech, better than Seaman? He definitely won't accept me for anything now, will he? Who's better, in your opinion? It's an Arsenal thing for at gmail.com. 
From the land that gave you popcorn, drive-ins, Johnny Mathis, and the legitimate right to shoot your neighbor for parking outside your house, direct from the U.S. of A., it's a potpourri of foosball analysis and stuff. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome once again to American Arsenology. Brought to you by the Taliban. We haven't showered in decades. I'm your host, And now, tonight's top stories. Welcome back, me gunners and me gunnerettes. It was a fateful, bloody, bloody Sunday. Against the Blues of Chelsea at the Emirates. It was a COVID-themed opening home game of the 21-22 season for Mikel Arteta and Arsenal. Time to get right into it. The opening storyboard of this one was tainted... In the viral sensation of COVID-19 as Arsenal's £50 million man centre-back Ben White, or Benny Blanco as many now refer to him. I'm also known as uh, Benny the Groin, Sammy the Schnoz, uh, Elmer the Fudd, Tubby the Tuba, and once as Miss mm-hmm. Phyllis Levine. Was out of the match due to a positive COVID-19 Diagnosis. Well, folks, this meant a reliance on one Pablo Mari and Mr. Rob Holdini holding at the back for Arsenal. On the right, Arteta chose to select Mr. Cedric, good-looking Rick Morenes-Saurez. And on the left, the sleeveless cut, Mr. Kieran Tierney. In front of them, a double pivot of Granit Xhaka, Sambi Lokonga, and some attacking verve with ESR, Nico Pepe, Bukayo Saka, and Gabriel Martinelli leading the line. It was a lineup that instantly sent. The tremors, the buzz, the energy, the magnetic gyrations of fear and loathing. You cannot expect to beat Chelsea, the champions of Europe, with a centre-back pairing of Pablo Mari and Rob Holding. Let's dive a little deeper. It was notable... That in the game versus the bees of Brentford, Arsenal started on the front foot, pedal to the medal, as they were able to sustain a whopping five minutes of pressure on the Brentford London bees. And to begin this match versus Chelsea, Arsenal started brightly. In fact, they doubled their amount of sustained pressure. Almost tripled it. They were strong in the first 14. As Sambi Lokonga 
looked up for the moment, folks. I was impressed with Zombie. I have been critical of his experience early on. Today, he was brilliant. We will talk more about that later. In just the second minute of the match, there was a, a shot for Mr. ESR. As Arsenal were enthused and antigenic, antigenically energetic, intergalactically. It was a strong, strong 14 minutes. And in the 15th minute, the inevitable struck, stroke, strike, strickety strike home. As Big Rom Rom, Baby Rom Rom, Baby Rom Rom Rom, Baby Rom Rom. Romalu Lukaku, the hundred million pound man, plus some, got off the mark for Chelsea. It was easy peasy as he played the target nine to perfection. The ball swung out to Mr. James. James had acres of space. Tierney was tucked in. Bizarrely so, he did not pass off his player. It was a mistaken, muddled communication between Tierney and Shaka. As Kieran Tierney sleevelessly went inside, creating a motorway for Mr. James. James's cross was pure and true and found Big Rom, who looked up to the heavens to say thank you for all that I've been through and for bringing it full circle. The proverbial wind had been removed from the sails of Arsenal as it was here we go again, here we go again. Very, very much predictable. Arsenal falling behind to Chelsea early. And in the 35th, things would get worse. As Chelsea tore Arsenal apart, with Mr. Saudes chasing around, pressing like a misguided schoolboy, and Granit Xhaka and Rob Holding tackling like foolish buffoons. Big Rom did a little step over, moved the ball on. It found Reese James, and Mr. Reese made no doubts about his opportunity, lashing the ball home to the left of Burn Leno. It was 2 0 Chelsea in the 35th, with Mr. James having a big contribution with the assist and the goal. I'm Rick James, bitch. <laughs> Enjoy yourself. <laughs> it was painful. It was expected, but nevertheless painful. Arsenal would work to create a few more chances. With Bukayo Saka and ESR, the main protagonists. But yet again, 
There was little fruit to be bore. As Arsenal looked, lost again, this time at home, and once again stricken by unfortunate circumstances with Mr. Benny Blanco missing. However, one could not think that sure would be nice to have Mr. William. Big Bill Saliba, right back at home at the Emirates, as Pablo Mari was finding it a challenging task to stick with the Blues of Chelsea. But in the 40th minute, a bit of a flashpoint with the referees as Bukayo Saka was clattered by... I'm Rick James, bitch. Enjoy yourself. <laughs> it was a brilliant pass from Nico Pepe. Mr. Saka tried to find the inside track on James... The assistant video referee had a look as Aspiliqueta was nutmegged and looked like a schoolgirl taking a pee. But yet there was no penalty awarded to the displeasure of more than a few Arsenal faithful. It was Arsenal's last genuine foray to find some sort of respectability and claw one back before half-time would strike. But, folks, it would not be the case. And the half came to its conclusion a short while later. There were a few glaring takeaways from this one. The first... Credit to the young 21-year-old Belgian, Mr. Sambi Lokonga. Let me say this. Mr. Sambi impressed all of us here at American Arsenology today. He was brave. He was clean. He was well-witted. Today was a day where Sambi Lokonga... Convinced all of us here at AA that he is the real deal. Stepping up in such a big moment. It was admirable. And more and more we appreciate the signing. Next. Despite the plaudits and... Kudos that Mr. Arteta and Mr. Gaspar deserve for unearthing Sambi on the word of Mr. Henri and company. Listen, there is no excuse for not selling Granite Shaka to Roma for whatever 12 million pounds was offered. If they had used that money and redirected it to... Yes, the goals of Brighton to secure another player, Mr. Ahiz Pisuma. Arsenal would be on much firmer ground tonight, folks. It boggles the mind that Pisuma is still available. As we said in episode one, 
there was some sort of a concession for signing Sambi over Bisuma. 21 verse 24. And as previously adulated, Sambi is the real deal. However, so is Ives Bisuma. Think about it. We still lack so much strength through the spine of the team. And as the potentially concussed Granit Xhaka showed today, he is unsettled. There is something off. It is not the potential ball to head right to the clean fade. No, 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 no. Something is wrong with Shaka. For all his failings, all his deficiencies, separating them, put them in a bucket, put them in a container in your garage. There is something wrong with Shaka. Yes, he has positives, he has negatives. However, he does not look a settled player. It was clear against Brentford. It was clear today, regardless of any ball to shaved, faded head. Thirdly, Gabriel Martinelli started as the nine. And... But perhaps not his own fault. He was a passenger and a ghost. He barely got a kick in the first half. And I mean that literally. Literarily and literally. He barely got a fucking kick of the ball. Listen, folks. 79 minutes of football for Gabriel Martinelli. He had 12 touches. I repeat, 79 minutes for the Brazilian wonder kid, 12 touches on the ball. That is alarming. We may have to take steps. We're going to have to take steps. Much to be discussed. There are absences. There are extenuating circumstances. However, there are very obvious truths. Second half began with Arsenal trying to muster a sense of respectability with a Bukayo Saka shot from the top of the box, deflecting off one goofy ass Marcos Alonso. It caused Chelsea's keeper Mendy a bit of concern as the ball was quickly redirected. And indeed, there was one glimmer of optimism in the 60th minute. A headed opportunity for Mr. Holdini. Yes, it was a solid knockdown from Pablo Mari into the heart of Chelsea's area. Rob Holding had what can only be described as a free-balled header. 
But as per usual and so often pointed out here at American Arsenology, Mr. Holdini cannot head worth a damn. Holdini missed. And it was one of the biggest chances for Arsenal. A knockdown from Mari to Holding. That would have been poetic. However, you must remember Holding... For being a pleasant man is absolute shite. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. Okay, a simple wrong would have done just fine, but... Uh... Arsenal were looking to take advantage of Mr. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, who entered the pitch for one Mr. Bukayo Saka. Yes, Saka was removed, and just three minutes later in the 63rd, it was the Gabonese hitman who had his first shot on target of the season. It was a breakdown by Arsenal, and a rather flustered and flubbed moment in transition that fell to Aubameyang, who could only lash a tame, tame, left-footed effort that Mendy gobbled up like a Thanksgiving treat. I got beans, greens, potatoes, tomatoes, lamb, rams, hogs, dogs, chicken, turkeys, rabbits, you name it! Look. In the 77th, there were nearly more treats for Romelu Lukaku. As Big Rom was the beneficiary of a brilliant peach of a cross from Mason Mount, Big Rom smashed his head a at the Arsenal goal as Rob Holding slapped at his back. But it was a big save from one German Bern Leno. A fantastical save, in fact. Clearly pressure is on Leno as Mr. Aaron Ramsdale is in the stands observing Leno's play. Well, folks, Leno was decent in this one. For both of the goals that were conceded, there is not a lot that Bern Leno could have done. Let me say this in closing on the first half. I don't mind Bern Leno having competition whatsoever. If the price tag is one thing, we overpaid, but perhaps we had to pay the English tax. However, if Leno wants to go, sayonara, Saka. But you've got a contract. And do you want to be number one, or do you want to lose your spot to Mr. Ramsdale? I like the move by Arsenal in the sense that it creates competition for a spot that Leno has not had recently. He was the undisputed what is not often talked about is while Arteta would not guarantee Emmy would be the starter, Bern Leno won the position, or was given it, but with Renar, Renar, Renarsen as the buffoon of a backup, and then one teddy bear Australian Matt Ryan, Leno has had very little pressure on him to perform. If he wants a move... 
He must start performing at a higher level. I think Aaron Ramsdale will help with that. Help! I need somebody. Help! Not just anybody. Help! You know I need someone. There were a few key takeaways from the second half. First and foremost, yes, Arsenal and Arteta have been unlucky. Perhaps the gods of football have conspired. Whether it was COVID, whether it was registering players late, There are many, many excuses that can be pulled from a hat. Some are valid and some are not. To begin with, the signing of Martin Udegaard. As our listeners will recall, we are not in favor of the permanent signing of Martin Udegaard. It has happened. He is a member of the club. We wish him the best and will support him wholeheartedly. However, Udegaard will make Arsenal better, but it may not matter. What is going on at the back for Arsenal? The four... Genuine centre-back options available. As previously mentioned, it is a dire situation. Gabriel Magalish, Ben White, the first-choice pairing. While they have the potential to synergize and be damn good, it's going to take a long time if it happens. As we have seen, the variables of each next normal in the world we live in require adaptability and a next man up mentality. Today, folks, we saw a next men up of Pablo Mari and Rob Holding. Not good enough. Will many, many, many defenders get bullied by Romelu Lukoku? Yes, of course. Many will. However, it does not matter who Mari and Holding are up against, they are not of the right metal to challenge for top four. We will not go into this over and over ad nauseum. Read about what we've written in the past. So, while the Oodigard signing is valuable and he makes us better, I don't think it's going to matter given what is happening at the back. And on that note, a second key and primary takeaway. Listen, Arsenal have spent £50 million to improve said defense. Ben White may turn out to be an Arsenal legend, and I hope he does. I have my concerns. First, primarily being I think he's a better right back than centre back. Think about it. 50 million pounds and a gaping hole. A hole of leadership and aptitude. Mr. David Luiz, who was not willing to re-enlist with Arteta this season, is gravely missed. 
You all remember the fanfare on social media when David Luiz left. I can recall very little such said fanfare for another player leaving. Very little. David Luiz had not been at the club for long. However, he meant something of significance to that locker room, particularly the back line. If there was some way to lure David Luiz out of retirement, his services would be invaluable. As bizarre as it sounds, folks. It would be the biggest transfer coup of the window for Edu Gaspar and Mikel Arteta. A fifth centre-back is needed. Big Bill Saliba is gone. No point in discussing it now. We will need a fifth centre-back. As we saw today, Mr. Tierney is a tough character, but he's small. He gets injured. It happens. Think about it. It's natural. It's life. So you play Shaka there as the fifth centre-back in a pinch? No, that's not ideal. Who then? Mr. Chambers, yes. Well, Mr. Chambers, another six-footer, poor in the air. Not very good on the ball. Not a good option. Perhaps centre-back is more suited to Chambers than him playing as a right-back. I don't think that's such a bad call. Chambers a better centre-back than right-back. Yes, I think it's true. However, not an option if you want to be challenging for top four places. Arsenal need a fifth centre-back. I think Arteta will be too stubborn to realise this, Tom. Having spent fifty million pounds. And as we all know, stubbornness can be the death of us. Richard sent us a message asking who the two goalkeepers were outside our top 10 um, with one vote each. It's driving me mad, he said, which is a bit extreme. Well, Richard, it was uh, Stuart Taylor and Wojciech Szczesny uh, who were outside the top 10. There was no room, obviously, for Emmy Martinez. Bitter lot. Bitter listeners. Honestly, it's not a pretty trait. Shame on you. May your wee toes be soggy for all eternity. Whilst we're on the subject, footballcritic.com doesn't even include Bernd Leno in their top 50 goalkeepers list. However, Emmy Martinez is at number 11. Salt in the wound, isn't it? In an effort to make you feel better, courtesy of bsoccer.com, Brad Guzman, ex of Aston Villa, came top of the mountain of the world's worst goalkeepers. That should make you feel marginally better for about 35 seconds. That Villa mob, eh? Buying our goalkeeper for big money. Then a midfielder that we had our eye on but couldn't afford. Who can we afford, to be honest? Dave, you're looking like a bargain. Two legs, a sense of direction. Too solid to get injured by anything other than a stray comet. Every goal, every disappointment, every good decision and every bad decision. From the first whistle to the final whistle. It's an Arsenal Thing podcast. Fun, football and conversation. Right, it's the Arsenal countdown. You have 30 seconds to make up your mind. Question number one. What year was Arsenal's bruised banana jersey introduced? Off you go. Start the clock, Dave. 
The answer was 1991-93. Question number two. Despite Alton Wenger's insistence on a balanced, plain diet, Thierry Henry would munch his way through half a packet of which famous sweets before each game? Dave, start the clock. Well, the answer was Jelly Babies. The last question. Who did Arsenal lose to in their first ever Premier League game? The clock's running. The answer was Norwich. Dave, there's something happening at the Emirates. I'm telling you, there's something happening in North London. It's, I, I can't explain it, but it's like a case study from the X-Files. On our investigations on the X-Files, We'll be asking why Abamyang and Lacazette disappeared like they never existed in the first place. We'll also be asking how did Xhaka get another year extension on his contract? And we'll be venturing into why Arteta's beard is perfectly groomed 365 days of the year. Does it never grow longer? And is his hair made of finely spun nylon? I'm Stoats Mulberry and this is my partner, Daily Scrubbery. It's time to welcome tonight's guest in the dugout. Our guest in the dugout tonight is Nick Collins, author, freelance broadcaster, former chief football reporter at Sky Sports News. Welcome to the podcast, Nick. It's a huge privilege to have you on. Uh, we finally linked up in the end. It was a bit of a dodgy one, wasn't it? What have you been up to recently? Well, um, I'm trying to write another book at the moment, Tom, um, and thanks very much for the kind introduction. Um, I have been doing some work uh, since leaving Sky with the Premier League, uh, but mainly now since the pandemic, I, I've been uh, confined to barracks, as it were, and uh, I'm, I'm writing a, a follow-up to my first uh, football novel, which, which I hope to uh, get published sometime next year. Any, any clues you can give us? Oh, well, um, I'll give you one clue. It's, um, a, it's a, a novel set in the early years of the, the uh, 
19, uh, the 20th century. Uh, and it involves a football club that's in London, but it's not you and it's not your big rivals, uh, Tottenham, you'll be pleased to know. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, can you tell the listeners how you got started in the business? Yeah, well, I mean, back in the day, as it were, uh, I wanted to be a journalist from the age of about 12, 13, 14. And I was told quite simply, well, go to university and read either English or history, which I, I, I duly did at Bristol University. Um, and came out, tried to apply for jobs. Eventually, after about a year, I managed to land a job on a paper called the Aldershot News. I um, applied for the sports, the deputy sports editor's job and ended up with a job as a local news reporter for the first couple of years. But actually, I I feel that panned out quite well because it gave me a a good insight into the practices of news journalism, which is no bad thing um, to take into the the sports area anyway. Uh, From there, I went into local radio station as as a sports editor, uh, regional TV with uh, Television South, which is now Meridian, um, and then on to British satellite broadcasting, the Squarial from the early 1990s, which was taken over by Sky in 1991. I I joined Sky and, and I stayed there for 25 years until 2016. We'll talk about Sky later on because it's a big part of your life. Um, was it always your plan to go from behind the scenes, journalism, editor, to going to presenting and uh, reporting? No, actually, it wasn't always my plan. I, I fancied being a, a sports writer. I, I really fancied the job of a, of a guy called Ian Wooldridge, who's a, a famous uh, sports reporter from two or three decades back. Um, but obviously... Uh, the introduction of radio. When I was working in in, in Aldershot, um, the local radio stations would come on and ask for someone to to do the um, flash scores for the um, the games that uh, Aldershot were playing against teams from the north, and and that's how I started, and really enjoyed it, the broadcasting side of it, and pursued that, and and from there, as I say, that was always my focus. Although these days of of being uh, a multi-journalist, as it were, uh, on all sorts of different platforms, I have come back to, to writing again. And I'm very pleased that I have done because it's, it's enabled me to obviously write a couple of books as well and, 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 and begin my third too. Uh, what was your first big story? Well, I, I think the story that I, I kind of always remember from a sports point of view would be um, Zola Budd, the athlete arriving um, in Britain under cover of the Daily Mail. Well, we found out where she was staying and we managed to get an exclusive interview with her. Uh, The Mail got a bit annoyed about it all um, and pulled the plugs on us ever having any more access. But I suppose that was the first taste of where you actually have to live on your wits and discover something, walk the streets, knock on doors and eventually find that the, the story you thought you could stand up you actually could so yeah that that was that was one i i mean um in in terms of um aldershot well they, they had takeovers and they lurched from one crisis to another even in the two or three years that i was covering them but it was huge fun i loved sitting on the back seat of the coach on the way home from uh, away matches i was allowed up the back provided aldershot had won and you could have a beer with a couple of the players if they didn't win you had to sit down the front with the manager and the directors um but yeah no it was all good it was all good fun gave me a taste of 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 covering football and the extraordinary dramas that can unfold from it 
course, we're all going to go back to that now. I mean, you know, uh, there's a kickoff tonight, um, so crowds are going to be back. It's going to be a lovely thing to see the atmosphere back in stadiums. Soulless affair, wasn't it, before? How many hours, when you're doing a report, how many hours do you put into your preparation for a big sporting occasion? Do you have to reference stuff, or have you got one of these massive brains that store everything? Well, um, it's probably a bit of both. The longer you go, the more you do retain, obviously. Um but yes, you've always got to prepare for, for the big games, no matter you might know every single player on both sides and know the history, but you're still looking for little nuggets of information and just making sure that you know as many different faces as possible that are in the, the tunnel area, for example, in terms of not just the managers and the players, but the, the, the physios, the fitness guys, just knowing who is who is, is, is a very useful uh, attribute to have these days. But um, so, yeah, quite a lot of work, yeah, undoubtedly. Just on the subject of fans back in stadiums, um, I, I've been to an empty stadium and covered a game when it's just the media there. And last weekend, I went to a game where there was a crowd and it was fantastic to be back sitting in a crowd. And I wouldn't say it was as if nothing, we'd never been away, but it was it was still absolutely wonderful to have the atmosphere and just the sheer joy of people cramming in together. I mean, let's hope it doesn't lead to any kind of spike um, in the pandemic, the fact that football fans are allowed back in. But it was it was a great occasion and really loved it. I'll tell you what was quite interesting on social media. People were kind of moaning about the way that Arsenal Football Club is at the moment and the setup and all that sort of thing. But fans, real football fans have actually said it's just going to be great to meet up with mates, have a pint, have a chat and go to the stadium. You know, it's like a whole new gig, win, lose or draw, like it was many years ago when you first started supporting, I suppose. Um, you've been the face of Sky Sports for so long. Uh, and I mean that in the in the nicest of ways. Uh, you you got to interview players, managers. You you had the upshot on injuries and everything else. You you seem to have uh, key contacts in every area. Is it because um, you were into factual reporting rather than indulging in speculation and sensationalism? Yeah, absolutely. Um, that that was one of the key things, it's, especially when. Um, the early days of Sky Sports News, um, it was a case of making sure that we were the new kids on the block and we weren't considered the sensationalist sort of journalists or, or dangerous tabloid journalists, if you like. So, yeah, I mean, I very much took it upon myself to, because I'd done a lot of work in the tunnels in previous years, um, to, to say, look, this is what we're all about. And yes, deal in facts, not in speculation. That was That was what we absolutely wanted to do to make sure that we were trusted by the managers and obviously you do build up a rapport over the years it's nothing it's not instant you have to work at it and keep coming back at it and sometimes there are setbacks along the way but basically yes you 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 get back what you put in from from that point of view and obviously the longer you're doing it then the the, the greater i suppose the degree of trust because they know you've been there 5 10 15 20 25 years and and you're kind of part of the furniture as it were who were the reporters and presenters that you looked up to? Well, I, I mean, when I started, um, it was Richard Keyes and Andy Gray. Now, I know that they are controversial characters to a certain extent, but I'll tell you now that I never saw anybody do that kind of work any better than they did in, the, in those early days. Uh, a lot mentioned about Gary Neville, 
raising the bar in terms of punditry. Well, I think that uh, Andy Gray was the sort of forerunner of that, and he he absolutely established Sky as a go-to channel for the live football. Um, and the same with Richard Keyes. His knowledge was phenomenal. He worked without any autocue for years and years and years. Now it's done regularly, but he was the first to, to, to do that, to take the plunge, as it were. Um, but obviously, over the years, there's been some terrific presenters at, at Sky. Um, very fond of Ed Chamberlain, who's now obviously at ITV doing the racing. I thought he was one of the best all-round presenters that Sky ever employed. Um, in terms of reporters, again, there's a, a, a huge amount. Going way back, Ray Stubbs uh, and me worked together in, in, in the 1990s. Got a lot of respect and admiration for him. Um, and Brian Swanson, the, the, the man who's now the, 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 the or was the chief sports reporter at uh, Sky Sports News, is now uh, joining uh, FIFA in Zurich as they're one of their main media men. Um, yeah, a, a lot of good reporters along the way. And, and also, I take my cap off to the... Um, Newspaper reporters, the football correspondents that I worked with and travelled with over the years, uh, they, they taught me an awful lot of good journalistic practices. And, and, and people like Henry Winter, uh, Ollie Holt, the late Brian Woolnow, um, yeah, I, I, I've got very fond memories of all of them and grateful to, to them for, for helping me. Have you got any golden rules of how to operate as a reporter, things that you won't compromise on, lines that you won't cross? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you have to decide in in your own mind um, what those lines are. I mean, one of the famous or infamous incidents that happened in the early days of Sky was um, uh, an incident at West Ham where a player got kicked in the head and we had the video of it and it looked like a deliberate incident. Um, now, we took a, a very strong and firm view that because... The club had basically said, please, please, please do not show this. Um, it will really damage our relations. So we didn't. We hid the, hid the offending uh, tape in a, in a safe. And um, lo and behold, the, um, the tape escaped and it did appear in the media. Um, and everybody basically feasted on it, except for ourselves. And yet we were the ones that were banned. So it's, you, you have to be very careful. But no, as a rule of thumb, look, if somebody says something to me and it's off the record, then it stays off the record. Equally, if you're very often you're drip feeding information in, especially in a live scenario where you might know everything. For instance, you might know the team, whether it's Premier League team, whether it's the Arsenal team in advance, whether it's England or whatever. But you know that, if you give it the game away too soon, it might be obvious who where you got your information from. So you very often will just ease it in over the, the hours nearing kickoff. And you might have less of a big impact because you haven't been trumpeting from the rooftops that so-and-so is playing, um, even though you know he is, because you don't want the contact to not come back to you with the team the next time or the time after that. So it is this juggling game of knowing what you can report what you can't but being being faithful to your sources basically and saying look if, if they say you can't use this then don't use it um you can revisit it and and try and stand it up in other ways but you shouldn't you shouldn't uh, you can have a very short career and a sensational career breaking those rules but you won't last too long is the is the bottom line during your time in the business, you've mingled with countless famous sports people. Um, who stands out for you and why? Well, I mean, in terms of footballers, um, I never 
met uh, Diego Maradona. I met Pele a few times. And although his English was a little limited, he worked very hard to try and improve it. And he, he had a fantastic bubbly personality. I am of an age that remembers England winning the World Cup and uh, remembers that Pele then dominated the very next World Cup. Um, so obviously him, um, of the players, of all the players, I, I, I'd say the my top four players that I enjoyed working with and that were helpful to me, David Beckham, number one, um, Frank Lampard, Stephen Gerrard, joint second, Joe Cole, fourth. Um, in terms of... Uh, Arsenal players, uh, I always got on very well with Aaron Ramsey. Um, and going further back, Patrick Vieira, um, he, he was also uh, very helpful. Um, and, of course, Arsene Wenger. Um, he, of, of, all the, of all the Premier League managers over the 25 years that I worked uh, in, in the um, industry, Arsene Wenger is the, is the manager I would respect the most because... He taught me very clearly that I will show you respect, but you show me respect. And that's exactly how he conducted himself. And um, he was also a very interesting and bright man. You could talk to him away from football about lots, all sorts of interesting things. I mean, I had a walk around Porto once the night before a game, bumped into him and Steve Bold when we were out. And he said, come along, come for a walk with us. And we walked along and chatted about all sorts of things and football wasn't on, uh, on the agenda really. So yeah, I, I mean, look, you meet lots of people, you never take them for granted, but you, you're not starstruck by them. If you see what I mean, that's the key. It's trying to develop a relationship with someone, no matter how big a name or personality is or, or how difficult sometimes they can be to get to. Um, you have to treat everybody absolutely the same. And, and the vast majority of those kind of guys actually appreciate that. It's quite nice to hear a really nice story about Arsene Wenger because uh, towards the end of his reign at Arsenal, he really did get some unnecessary flack. Uh, people have got a short memory, haven't they, when it comes to achievements. Um, what was the most memorable out of all the stuff that you've done and witnessed? What's the most memorable event that you've been to where you couldn't believe your luck that you were there? Um, goodness me. Um... Lot, lot, lots of occasions rather than just one specific one. Um, the very first All English Champions League final in the pouring rain in Moscow, when it was into the early hours of the following day before the game was decided and the, the missed penalty that could have won it for Chelsea and then Manchester United winning it. I'll never forget that one. And then what happened um, four years later in Munich when, um, against all the odds, they, they won the Champions League. The very first Champions League final I did was the one in Paris where Arsenal came so close to defeating Barcelona that time. And uh, it, that really was galling to see because they, they, with only 10 players, they put up such a fantastic performance. And you did think that they were going to pull off the ultimate 1-0 to the Arsenal. Um, it wasn't to be and they would not got that near again since, unfortunately, but hopefully one day I'd love to see them win it I'm not saying that just because I'm on your show but because of all the Premier League clubs I dealt with Arsenal more than any other and uh, I must admit I enjoyed that experience very much it, it was actually a beautiful time when Wenger took over and the, the football that we witnessed was incredible so uh, yeah I, I think everyone will kind of be grateful that you said that um, you've travelled around the globe in your role at Sky um, you've not always been to glamorous locations can you recall one of those evenings 
where you thought, why do I do this? <laughs> well, uh, yes, uh, there's been some strange places I've been. Obviously, you, you get to go to the likes of uh, Azerbaijan and Kazakhstan um, in the course of covering European qualifiers. But I remember being in Baku uh, the afternoon of the England-Azerbaijan game, the first time they ever played each other. And uh, the wind and the weather conditions were extraordinary. We were literally being blown off our feet. And um, uh, the advertising hoardings were coming down around us. It almost looked like some kind of scene from a movie. Um, and in the end, we had to sort of pull the plugs on the, um, on the outside broadcast and go and shelter in the Arsenal dressing room. Although, we didn't tell them that we did that. Uh, the, the England dressing room, I beg your pardon. Although we didn't tell them that we'd done that before. Did do any harm, did it? <laughs> well, no, we didn't. They did win 1-0. And, uh, yeah, I, I mean, there's all sorts of different kind of places that you, you go to, and they're not always great. I mean, Slovakia, the first time we went to Bratislava in the early 2000s, um, they had big, big problems with... Um, racist fans um, and uh, an England supporter was shot in the face. Um, a lot of the fans were, were given a really hard time by the um, security forces in inverted commas who were basically just thugs that uh, appointed themselves to um, cause a bit of mayhem. And on the night, England's uh, black players were, were roundly abused and that became the story. Um, but I'm telling this story because there is a sequel to it and that is 10-15 years later when we went back to Bratislava the mood couldn't have been more different and it was fantastic to have witnessed the transformation that had happened from the early 2000s to 2016 I think it was when uh, uh, Sam Allardyce took uh, England to Slovakia and won his uh, one and only game. Wow yeah that, that's a memorable but well memorable one isn't it um I have to touch on your departure from Sky. Um, in 50 Cup finals, you give a blow-by-blow blow account on your 25-year career with Sky, and you said it was like a bullet to the back of the head technique. What actually happened? Well, it, it, it was literally that. Um, going into work one morning, absolutely no idea. And I, I mean that. I, I didn't have any inkling that... Uh, a load of us were about to be made redundant. But then I suppose that's the whole point of it, the, ob the object of the exercise from a managerial point of view. But yeah, I mean, I, I was live on, on, on set. We were talking about Gareth Southgate. Uh, and I, I did notice that I kept getting messages from my line manager and I couldn't quite work out why, because his desk was just to the side of where the studio was. He should have been able to see that I was on on set and it was only when I started walking over to find him in this other building I thought this is odd but then I, we do have a reason to talk we were setting up future Champions League games and deciding which route through the groups I was going to take whether we were going to follow one specific club or or, or not um, so I, I had a reason to to, to to find him and speak to him and, th and then yes it was literally here you go we, we, we're making you redundant read from a sheet of paper that basically sums up uh the the legal side of it um and and, and you're gone um it's happened to a, a lot of colleagues of mine um just recently again there's been an, another wave i mean tv companies say it's not ageism but it, coincidentally everybody seemed to be in their 50s or late 50s that uh, were being made redundant but that's the nature of the beast i suppose um but look I said it in the book and I'll say it again now. I don't have any bitterness at all because I had a wonderful ride for a quarter of a century. 
uh, some people don't get to, to to last that long. So you know, I enjoyed it while it lasted. It was brilliant, and you know, we all move on. Nothing stays the same, and it's you know that applies to jobs and careers and, and what have you. So um, yeah, I, I look back on the time very fondly. I I, I don't think oh they should have never done it this that and the other I, I know that tv is a fast moving industry and things change all the time so you know onwards and upwards it's quite amazing to see how well regarded you are within the professions uh with with individuals like the press conference with gareth southgate i mean that was that was quite amazing did that rock you back on your heels you thought oh he's given me a mention uh it did it, it, yeah it did tom actually because i certainly wasn't expecting it and um uh, I, I must admit, I um, I was very much taken aback, and especially when my colleagues started applauding at the end, it was it, it, it was very moving. And I suppose that's when it probably hit me. Uh, actually, this is the last time you're going to be doing this. Although it wasn't strictly speaking, because I have covered England press conferences since. But in the in the guise of being Sky Sports chief football reporter and the lead interviewer on those press conferences, that was the last one. But you know, I have done other things. We we, we move on. I've continued to cover the Premier League. I've, uh, I've covered one or two England games as well. Nothing like the the level I was doing before. So it's a different landscape, but. You know, um, yeah, that that was uh, one of the most memorable moments of my Sky career, I suppose, along with falling off a um, platform outside Wembley Stadium on live TV, which uh, had quite a few hits on YouTube, etc. I saw that the other day. I wasn't going to mention it. I wouldn't say I'd dine out on it, but you can't um, you can't not like something that makes everybody laugh. And Did you get 250 quid from your you've been framed? I did eventually. Funnily enough, Tom, I did eventually, but only in the last year or so, and it happened back in 2013. But they had a new series of it, and they wanted to show some classic moments, as they called it. And and they said, um, we, we'd we like to show yours. Um, there's 250 quid in it for you. And I said, well, look, every time this has happened before, the, the, the copyright, the pictures belongs to Sky. So they get you, you, you'll have to clear it with Sky. Um, and this time... Somebody at Sky said, "Yeah, go and let him let him have the two hundred and fifty quid." So I did. I did get the two hundred and fifty quid, but no, I mean, look, it, I knew it had gone viral within moments. And what do you do except hold your hands up and uh, tell people, you know, what happened? I mean, hundreds, thousands, almost of, of fans have come up over the years um, saying, "Oh, mind how you go, don't fall off that ladder." It wasn't a ladder; it was a platform. I didn't fall that far, but it just sounded quite dramatic because the platform itself completely collapsed into pieces. Well, you're in good so, company because presidents have fallen down staircases well, and yes. uh, I think one's head butted the side of a swimming pool while they were underwater. So uh, you're in good company there. Um, were you surprised about the fans' reaction to you leaving Sky? Because that was phenomenal, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I, I mean, it was. But then it didn't surprise me in the sense that football fans are, are nobody's fools. And if you're out there and you, you mix with them, week in, week out at the games, and you're not in an ivory tower, but they see you out in the streets before a match, you're, you're going into games the same time as them. Very often, we wouldn't have tickets and we'd be in with the fans anyway, uh, watching games in sort of overflow areas. So, yeah, you, you become known as the, the, the reporter that was always with the fans. With England as well, you know, the build-up to games, Sky didn't have the... Uh, live rights to World Cups and European Championships. So you you weren't inside in the, the nice media areas. You were outside on the streets with mixing it with the fans. So, yeah, I, I mean, very grateful that they, they said some kind things about me, but it, it was born of 
25 years, if you like, of doing some of the hard yards alongside them. I tell you, I'm going to tell the listeners, uh, Oliver Holt uh, did a lovely little comment. Uh, Nick Collins and Tim Abraham are two of my favourite journalists, consummate pros, top men. Uh, Contributions will be sorely missed. Uh, You know, I, I think we can just echo those sentiments, really, because in my opinion, and it's just my opinion, that a lot of the uh, really good reporters and journalists are starting to disappear from the screens. We're starting to get um, personalities, TV personalities, filling in roles where you need a reporter. And it's quite sad, actually. uh, And it spoils your enjoyment. Anyway, let's move on to your career as a writer. The book, 50 Cup Finals, deals with the changing football landscape. Having witnessed firsthand 11 major tournaments, 272 England games, 39 FA Cups and League Cup finals, six Champions Leagues, five World Cups and Euro finals. Was it hard to condense that into a book? Well, yes, at, at, at times it was. There's parts of the book where I go into more detail than others. And, and I was very keen to tell the Arsene Wenger story um, in, in some detail because I was there right at the beginning, as it were, when he first um, joined the club. And then to see the the double and the subsequent success that he managed to achieve was something I wanted to to tell the story of. And and similarly, I suppose, with with Jose Mourinho and with Manchester United, that very first season was was a memorable one. Um, And, yeah, those kind of uh, moments stand out. But again, I wanted with the book, I didn't want it to be full of tittle-tattle. I wanted it to have some moments behind the scenes to give the fans a little bit of insight, but not telling gossipy stories about, oh, this player or that player did this or that. Uh, I just wanted it to be a bit more respectful than that. Um, I I hope people enjoyed it. Yeah, it was a bit of a labour of love, 150,000 words. That's a lot. And then subsequently, I guess I would would make sure that it wasn't quite such a – an epic tome if I had to redo the, the whole process. But it was it, it was great fun. It was cathartic, I suppose, in a way, when you've just finished doing that that kind of thing. And it helps, I suppose, close a chapter and, and, and you move on to other things. Yeah, it was only when I was doing the research that I found that you, you got the two books out. So I've ordered mine from Amazon. So if anyone wants one, Amazon's the place to go. Let's talk about the other one, uh, Foot Soldiers. Can you tell the listeners what it's about and the inspiration behind it? Yeah, well, OK. Well, it's, it's about the Royal Engineers, who uh, were a team based uh, in Kent, which is where, where I've lived for many, many years. They're the, the only football team from that uh, county that's ever won the FA Cup. And um, they played in the very first final. They were the hot favourites in the first final and they, they managed to lose. And their story in the early years of the FA Cup was one of um, what might have been... Um, they seem to get to the final and then lose their nerve on the day, which is strange when you consider that they were soldiers, albeit very young ones in the main. And I just started researching it. Um, I found some interesting bits and pieces. The um, Royal Engineers Museum in Gillingham um, were very helpful. I, I spent quite a few days up up, up there researching the, the scores, the, the stories behind it. It's a novel, though. I, I hasten to add it's a novel. It's not absolutely factual a lot of it is factual all the scores in the fa cup games are, are factual um but elements of the personalities have have been um if you like fictionalized a bit just to make it uh, a, a bit more readable um but yeah um that uh, came out um 
in 20 or oh gosh 2020 and um, I'm hoping to get another one out soon which will pick the story up uh, in a different guise about 30 years later. Um, so now let's look at the uh, state of the game after lockdown there's still a lot of money around uh, phenomenal amounts of money it's, it's quite ridiculous isn't it do you think that they're, they're actually going to hit a ceiling at some point and we're going to see a high profile club going to receivership? Well, we've wondered whether this was going to happen for quite some time and, and clubs have got close to the brink and then it's not quite happened. I mean, the, the perceived wisdom was that it's the smaller clubs rather than the bigger ones that are most likely to, to go under. But I think it might take uh, a bigger club to have a, a, a real major problem to actually trigger the warning to everybody that it, it, it could happen. I mean, there's some monstrous money around, but there has been for years and years. Uh, the bottom line is, if if people are willing to pay those fees and, and salaries, then they will continue to rise. And you have to say, we haven't got to the top of that mountain yet. I, I do believe things are going to go on and on. Now, there may end up being more and more legislation um, and financial doping rules uh, introduced to make it harder and harder to, to level the playing field out, if, if you like. But um, I, I don't see it particularly happening anytime soon. I, I think there'll be a, a certain amount of caution because we're coming out of a pandemic and, and people realise that, that, that there can be all sorts of financial pitfalls that they've got to avoid and recover from. But I, I don't see that uh, we're, we're suddenly the gravy train is hitting the buffers just yet. Uh, you'll probably remember this the same as I do. Brian Clough, when he played, uh, paid a million pounds for Trevor Francis, everyone went ballistic. A million pounds? And now that's that's loose change, isn't it? Really? Well, yes. There's players down the leagues that will 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 go for more than that these days. Um, yeah, it did, it did make a big impact at the time. Um, what the uh, record will end up being, who who alone knows? I mean, the the English Premier League record went this summer with Jack Grealish, a hundred million, and could go again in the next couple of weeks. For all we know, with Harry Kane. Um, so it, it, it's a a subject that continues to fascinate and it's it, it will be interesting to see where it goes but uh i think that in the main the, the, the game is in good hands but i do worry a little about the number of overseas owners and just how much they understand football from a fan's point of view there's some great examples of fans that do and leicester city is often quoted in, in that respect um and it's easy in a sense to sort of have a go at the chairman or the the chief executive if things aren't quite going right. But as long as as long as people realise that if you're in charge of a football club, you're you're only a temporary custodian, then maybe this game should carry on and continue to unfold the way we hope it does. It's quite interesting, isn't it? The Super League came about, and then suddenly you realise how much debt Real Madrid and Barcelona are in. No wonder they were pushing that hard. Um, it, it's all come to light now, but uh, thankfully that was that was seen off. Nick, it's been a massive pleasure to have you on the podcast. Um, I think we could do three or four podcasts with you. There's stuff I've left out that I wanted to put in, but it's been brilliant. Thank you ever so much for coming on. And if you uh, you finish this book, uh, drop me a line and we'll get you back on just to tell everyone about it. All right, that's a deal, Tom. Many thanks, and uh, I really enjoyed it. And uh, good luck. Have a great season. Thanks, Nick. It's an Arsenal theme podcast. Fun, football and conversation. 
Back to the blatant sabotaging of my LinkedIn adventure and Petta check. I can at least take some consolation that Mikel Arteta follows me. Ah, yes. Spanish Michael follows me. I've asked him to stop because the police have received a complaint about an unnaturally dark-haired man in a peacoat loitering outside Asda's. Boom, boom! It's time for a fascinating fact. Wilberforce Montgomery once suffered concussion after being hit on the head by a pie thrown from the crowd. (laughs) What? I don't know, Dave. Was it against us, he says. He's communicating via a whiteboard. In the age of technology, Dave is using a whiteboard. On to the next one. Andrew Inacole is the only known professional footballer to have every vowel appear in his name in the correct order. What a claim to fame that is. So that's Andrew... And then I-N-N-O-C-U-L-L. And um, Giuseppe Bagarmi, pass me the pasta, played at four World Cups for Italy, but never played in a single qualifying game. That's a bit odd, isn't it? Good enough for the final and the semis and all that sort of thing, but not good enough for those ragbag matches in the middle of nowhere. Right, what's next? Good man, Dave. Yes, the best Arsenal team goals ever. And there were quite a few of you that mentioned a certain goal that we, well, Dave overlooked. Just take it on the chin, Dave. Narrowly outside the top three. Fourth, basically. Patrick Vieira, 2004 to 2005. Vieira started the move advancing with purpose and planting the ball at Thierry Henry's feet on the edge of the box. The football god, Thierry Henry. The striker held it up and laid it off to Robert Pires, whose perfectly weighted one-touch pass found Vieira through on goal. Then at number three, it's Riziki versus Sunderland, 2014. Cracker of a goal, that was. In second, Thomas versus Liverpool, 1989. It was always going to be on the list, wasn't it? Let's be fair. Even if you weren't alive, it's automatically passed in an Arsenal supporter's DNA. Passed down through the generations. And in first place, drum roll please, Dave. Much obliged, Treacle. Wilshire versus Norwich, 2013. Wilshire was the architect collecting the ball deep in his own half before feeding Kazola on the left and receiving it back near the edge of the area. There followed a delightful exchange between Wilshire and Olivier Giroud, which consisted of three superb flicks before Wilshire volleyed in from close range after 18 minutes. Kazola, Wilshire, oh, they were the days, my friends. Now Jacker and El Nanny. Magic moments, an unforgettable commentary on a classic Arsenal goal. Pod 21 covers that Bergkamp goal. Perry, you're on. The telephone call that tied up the line for hours and hours. The Saturday dance that got up the nerve to send you some flowers. Magic moments. Memories through the centre. It's Bergkamp. That's magnificent. (laughs) 
the move, and then this, which left Dabby's ass totally stranded. I thought um, last season against Newcastle away was, uh, was very important because Newcastle was doing well at that time. We had to go there to, to get the points, of course, because uh, um, yeah, you wanted to be the champions in that year. And no one really expected us to, to take the points at that stage. And uh, to score a first goal then for the team in, in such a way, yeah, that to me was, was one of the most important goals. At first I got the ball from Robert. He gave it to me from, from the side, gave it inside. And I found, I thought the ball was a little bit more too much behind me. So I had to turn to control it, touch the ball past the defender. And the quickest way to go towards the ball was turning that way instead of that way. So therefore it, it, it looked a bit yeah, special or strange or nice. But uh, that was for me the only option and, and the quickest way towards the ball and towards the goal. And, and the finish was just, uh, yeah, just try to get it past the goalkeeper in, uh, in such a way that he can't reach it. And the whole move was... was uh, Probably inch perfect, but, but it could have gone completely wrong, but at that, that time it worked. From Nepal to North London, from Delhi to Dagenham, from the terraces to the armchair, it's an Arsenal Thing podcast. Football's in our DNA. Now then, onto a chart that has no meaning whatsoever. The Athletic UK has come up with the top ball progressors after the first week of the new season. <laughs> There's a top 20. And Arsenal do quite well in it. Kieran Tierney, Sambi Lukonga, Granit Xhaka and Emil Smith-Rowe were featured in the top 20 in the Premier League opening weekend for, wait for it, expected threat. Or in brackets, bracket X, small x, capital T, close bracket. Uh, in this meaningless fiasco, Mo Salah is on 0.41. Emil Smith-Rowe is third on 0.38. Then we have to drop down quite a way under uh, about midway. Granit Xhaka on 0.27. Then it's Kieran Tierney at 0.24. And Lekonga is at 0.23. What does it all mean? I don't know. Um, don't go blaming us. Don't go blaming me or Dave. We we just bought this to make you feel a bit better about what the Arsenal are doing. That's that's our purpose in life. <laughs> Time for our iconic musical slot, which features the name of a former or current Arsenal player. Enjoy this. Soak it up. You get a few names chucked in here. I, I love this. This is one of those head spinners where you can't get the bloody thing out of your head. Once you've heard it, you're done.
on Arsene Wenger. It's time to enter the gun room for a natter. Hello and welcome to the gun room and I'm with Jay. How are you doing, Jay? I'm all right. Thanks, Tom. How are you, mate? Yeah, not too bad at all. I've got a bit of a spring in the step after last night. Um, I did at the weekend have a bit of a, uh, what should we say, a bit of a stumble. Yeah, 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 <laughs> I know, I know. Things look a bit better now. Um, yeah. Shall we crack on? We've got loads to talk about. Um, shall we start first with the transfer uh, transfer system? Um, not, not doing anything at the moment, so we know uh, yeah. of, um, but... Odegaard, what do you yeah. make of that signing? Yeah, I, I like it. He's um, obviously we saw a bit of him last season, but uh, he he was he showed enough, I think, to to show that to, um, just the amount of quality and the, what he can bring to the bring to the team. Uh, and and it's easy to forget that he's he's still only twenty two. You know, he's he's vastly experienced for such a young man. Um, he's the captain of Norway. And I think I mean the West Brom game showed and he didn't have a he didn't have an outstanding game, but he again he showed flashes of of just classy passages of play. And he's he just on the ball he, he looks so assured, doesn't he? Um it was quite evident that we were actually starting to play through the middle again because yeah. over the last games, it's all been out wide yeah. and there's Odegaard connecting up, which I liked. And yeah, as you say, it wasn't uh, was a top of the range performance, but no. there was enough there, especially with the Saka goal, the little yeah. flick backwards. That's lovely. Lovely. Uh, that was Arsenal's Just, just delightful. And there was another good thing uh, what I enjoyed as well. Literally, I think it was the first minute or two of the game. Um, Odegaard got absolutely clattered by one of their midfielders, and it was more. It was one of those, you know, welcome to battle, welcome back to to the English game. And he dusted himself off, and and, and he didn't let it affect him. Okay, West Brom weren't great, but you know, it's those games, isn't it? You know, away from home in places like West Brom, playing against teams like that, where players like Odegaard. Um, I suppose the comparison will be Meza Ozil, where, uh, you know, Meza, more often than not, he didn't really fancy it in those kind of games, did he? Yeah, he was too slight, too um, too weak, really. But yeah, I, I'm really pleased with it. Um, I think I said, I've said to you before, I, I wanted this signing more than some of the other names that were being banded around because, A, because of his experience, B, because of what we had seen uh, and see uh, he's young enough um, to really improve, you know? So yeah, very pleased. Uh, I just got a text from Dave. Sorry, Dave, you are on the screen. Uh, (laughs) He's on the zoom link, but obviously he doesn't say anything. So I don't really know what (laughs) is there, but uh, (laughs) normally he's with me, but you know, that's the way it works. It's it's the part of the podcast charm. Um, Mm. I was a bit surprised that so many fans, we're going to talk about fans. Fans have really yeah. got up my nostrils this week yeah. um, because of their inconsistencies, their whinging. Uh, yeah. Some were really underwhelmed by the Odegaard signature. And mm-hmm. I, I thought that was really short-sighted because yeah. if I've had uh, anything to sort of moan about between myself, uh, yourself and Isaiah, I've said, 
you know, when it gets down to the physical side of it, has he got the stomach for it? And as you said, when he got knocked up in the air, and that was some clattering he took. Yeah. He got back up and there was there was no problem. I think as he gets older, he'll have to develop that side of his game and do uh, all the dirty stuff that the likes of Dennis Bergkamp did. But yeah. I, like you, I was really pleased mm-hmm. and surprised. I didn't think we'd get him. No, no. I mean, if you look at, um, we sold Willock for, I mean, I think the numbers were going, it was as high, maybe as, as high as 25 million with add-ons. Um, and the Odegaard transfer potentially is 30 to 35 million with add-ons. We've got him for very little. And we've got, I believe, a, a better player who is a very similar age to Joe. And this is no disrespect to Willock, but I think we've got a better player um, and the, I mean, I don't know. You, you obviously you've obviously picked up on it. That, that there's like Arsenal are a bit of a they're a bit of a um, they're an easy target for the media at the moment. You know, yeah, results aren't going well, but you know, everybody, all the me- major media outlets seem to be bashing Arsenal at the minute, um, and transfers or the, and the quality of player that are coming in, or the age of the player, or the amount we're paying for the player. Uh, it's it's just another. All these reasons are being used to to bash the club. You know the fan base. I read the similar things than you know to you, um, but it's not just. It's, it's everybody needs to remember. It's not just Arsenal that has idiots and brain dead morons supporting them. All clubs do. You know it was only I don't know a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago that fifteen thousand stormed Wembley at the Euro 2020 final you know they weren't all Arsenal fans they were just idiots you know uh, but yeah I mean unfortunately social media I, I, is... I can see the big plan can't you I mean you, you get these players in young uh, yeah. and he's I mean the players that they have signed this year I've been really happy with to be honest yeah. uh, Tavares or Tavares however you want to say it. I think he's got real potential and mm-hmm. we saw that in the uh, West Bromwich Albion game yeah. and I, I think unfortunately if uh, Kieran Tierney is injured we've got a, a good replacement there a good solid not just someone you just uh, I know you play in the middle can you go mm. on the left or, yeah. or we get it on the right don't we as well yeah. where they have to chop and change mm-hmm. I feel really confident we've got someone like that. Conga, he looks like he could be a real asset in the future. Yeah. And then you brought in Odegaard. I mean, I don't know what people want. I don't know what they no. expect. No, but fans, um, they get, uh, what's the best way to, to say it? They get, without sounding too, too dramatic, or they get slightly brainwashed by the media's influence, right? So, so if Roy Keane turns around and goes, uh, it's all good and well Arsenal signing these youngsters. They need players now. Um, well, yeah. Okay. But that's a very easy assumption to make. That's a very, you know, we've lost two games this season. It's very easy to turn around and say, we need these players. Um, the process uh, in inverted commas or the plan is very, very clear to anybody that has got anything about them. Any Arsenal support that's got anything about them. It is that Mikel is obviously had the conversation with Edu. They've come up with this plan or process, whatever you want to call it, to plan for the future and the signings that are being made. Like, it's going to take time, you know? This, 
it's this season. I know nobody wants to hear it, but this season is, is you're probably going to have to write it off again, you know, and, and probably much of next season until these very young players have settled in properly, got used to the pace of the game and start to really progress and improve alongside your Thomas parties, your Martin Erdegaard's, um, and your Ben White's, uh, those types of players. It's, it's going to take time. And we all wanted something different in this Arsenal team, right? From last season and the season before at Emery and the, and the back end of Wenger, Wenger's reign. And this is something different and it is going to take time. Now, I'm not saying Arteta is hard because we've spoke before, haven't we? How long you leave it. But I do believe that if there is there are visible signs of improvement in certain areas of the squad. And this is definitely an improvement with the age range of player that we're signing. Arteta will definitely be given the time. So I think the supporters have just got to get used to it. The funny thing is Roy Keane is banging on about, uh, you know, looking at the, the here and the now, but Manchester United, they've had to rebuild on occasion. I mean, Ferguson's had to rebuild about four times and employ youth, and it didn't all go according to plan. Matt no. Busby, further back, uh, had to start from scratch. Um, so I, I really, I mean, I think it's just the words come out of his mouth. I think, you know, the bowel and the throat sometimes <laughs> get confused, and, and that's yeah. what's happening. Um, let's move on to Aaron Ramsdale, because, um, or apparently he's, he's, he's actually called Dale Ramsdale, but he changed his name to Aaron. Uh, I only just found out that while we were researching and stuff. So he's yeah. an Arsenal boy. You know, mm-hmm. he's, he supported them as a lad. Yeah. And he's come across, he's uh, in the England setup. Mm-hmm. And um, I thought, you know, we're looking to the future again. What is he, 23? Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Um, so he comes in. I've got a fancy that Leno's going to go next year. Yeah. In, yeah. in the summer. Um, so I thought it was a good purchase. What about yeah. you? Hundred percent. It make it makes perfect sense. It's it's a sensible signing. Uh, if I think there's another way you can look at it. If you if you go and sign Aaron Ramsdale for for say ten million, he he doesn't get the abuse. He doesn't get the the comments from people. It's just the amount of money, you know, um, and it's not his own fault. It's just again, it's another example of just supporters just believing your Sky Sports, everything that's said on, say, Sky Sports or Talk Sport or whatever. Um, we, you know, David Seaman was a relatively unknown goalkeeper and he came to us and look what he became, you know. Uh, and if Ramsdale goes on to have sort of half the career Seaman had, then he's a, we're on to a winner. It makes perfect sense. Ultimately, it's not a fashionable signing as well, is it? You well, know, as not, Isaiah says, it's uh, English tax as well. You've got to take that into account. Even Wenger yeah. said it many years ago. You want an English player, you can stick yeah. another 15 million on there easily. Yeah. But if you went, it, it, it's funny because if you go to, let's say, Kilo Navas, um, Real Madrid goalkeeper was available. You know, he's, he's, he's coming towards the end of his, well, not coming towards, you know, he's in his twilight of his career and you went and signed him for 15 million probably very even there's not much difference between the two goalkeepers all because Navas has had the career when he comes from a Real Madrid you know it's it's, it's so fickle 
you know, the, 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 the people, you know, supporters' perception of what is a good sign and what isn't. Yeah, Ramsdale has come from Sheffield United and he came from Bournemouth, two teams that ended up getting relegated. Okay. And he was the goalkeeper. Doesn't sound good. However, he still ended up in the England squad and he's still highly rated in the game. And it's just... The, the abuse was just, it was just ridiculous. It was just stupid. It's just stupid. It, yeah, let's touch on that it. abuse. I mean, the the levels were unprecedented. He had to yeah. shut down his social media because yeah. of it. And mm-hmm. um, I, I just didn't understand it. From a couple of points, homegrown player. Yeah. You know, we're going to need more homegrown players. I didn't mm-hmm. think the price was uh, unreasonable. Not for no. a goalkeeper these days. No. And we've got the problem with Leno. The funny thing was that when um, Ramsdale was playing in that game against West Bromwich Albion, he looked more comfortable playing out from the back as well. He did, yeah. And, and you hope uh, he's the type of character that uses the, um, those that, those comments that were massively blown out of proportion as well by the media. It was covered Ugly by comments. the radio, t- t- newspapers and things. You know, all players get... Or, you know, Premier League players, I'm sure, the majority of them get abused, but you never hear about it. It's just because it was Arsenal, just because it was Aaron Ramsdale. Um, blown out of all proportion, and you live in hope that he uses that. And it, and I mean, if you're going to go by the evidence from the West Brom game, um, it motivated him. And he, and he wants to show these people that he's, he's a lot better than they gave him credit for. Well, I went on Facebook and I, um, I actually parked a comment and said, some Arsenal fans are a total disgrace Pitiful at best. Uh, yeah. Fergus from Guns and Yellow Ribbons came on and said, I can't say either signing excites me, but for Futh's sake, uh, yeah. at- attacking them on social media. Uh, but he said it's a problem of the, the, the modern fan, really. You know, um, it, they just want to shock and clickbait uh, and they follow players rather than teams. And I think that's, that's a fair summation, really. Yeah. Okay, but let me ask you a question. What transfer would excite you that we could realistically make? You well, know, that's one really. That's, no, that, that's what we're I'm saying. Not so, that, we're not in that sort of no, money pit. No, we. So, so the signing in a, in a in a in a dream world for me would be Erling Haaland. We're not going to go. He's not going to come to us. You know, yeah. we, we can't offer him Champions League football. We can't offer him European football. We're not going for the league title. We're, we're we're very much in the infancy of a rebuild. We need to be realistic here. What what signing at the level that we're at would would generate that level of excitement? But well, I think any, the, you know? Uh, the, the you know Arteta and Edu have actually thought about that, mm-hmm. and and the plan they've got is the one they can afford. But there's potential, uh, like when Wenger first came, to make yeah. the players better. Yeah, yeah, exactly, and that's 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 the plan. That's what we're going for, and and, and ultimately signing Odegaard as well in the in in this in the position that we're in is a real coup. I think uh, it really is. He could have gone to, you know, you look at some of the teams in Europe um, that are crying out for a creative 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 midfielder. You know, I think it's a great signing, and and I think and the Ramsdale signing as well. So two pieces of uh, really good business from Edu. 
The other thing was, um, it's got a couple of things here. Arteta's car was surrounded by angry fans uh, as he left yeah. the ground. Uh, Saka and Tierney were both uh, criticised as well for the loss on Sunday. How quickly they turn. How fickle are the fans? Kieran Tierney. Yeah. And uh, I, I did see that, the video of those supporters. Um, I mean, God, you know, I, I think I, I, we were we were talking, weren't we? <laughs> uh, um, and I said to you, you, you wouldn't blame Arteta if he fired back out the window. You know, the frustration... Um, uh, just brain dead. You struggle to work out uh, other than just to get those likes, just to get a name, to make a name for themselves. While we're on the subject of all the unnecessary behaviour, William Saliba and Matteo Guenzuzzi featured in Marseille's away win uh, at Nice. Uh, And then the contest kind of fell apart. Uh, A player got hit on the head uh, by a missile thrown from the crowd. And then it all kind of kicked off. And it's pictures yeah. of Gwendozi with like strangulation marks around his mm. neck. When is he going to stop? We've had Grealish. He was attacked yeah. from behind. Is mm. it, we're going to get to the stage where we're going to have to fence the fans in again because nah. they're, they're acting yeah. like animals. It really worries yeah. me. Someone's going to yeah. get really seriously hurt. That was that was insane, wasn't it? That video. I think wasn't it Dimitri Payet, the, the former West Ham player. Yeah. I think he yeah. threw a, a water bottle back into the crowd, but I think he got hit with a bottle first, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Uh, and then, and then, I mean, the, the stewards they they quickly lost control. Yeah, it is worrying. Um, it's it's worrying, especially a so of quickly. Bits here from uh, Twitter, um, a guy called Philippe Falop. I'm not oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. That's a bit of a gag, yeah. isn't it? I'm not sure that's his real name. <laughs> uh, as much as Ram, Ramsdale isn't my dream signing, uh, only 23 and already a Premier League uh, with uh, Premier League experience, he has huge potential. Hope the lad smashes it and becomes a club legend. Uh, Ian uh, put, will Sky ever shut up about Martinez signing for Villa? He's probably mm. had 2.5 seasons in about nine years. Um, and the fans are giving Ramsdale stick. I mean, I couldn't agree any more, really. I mean, you know, yeah. the the builder, it's just like a big potpourri of nonsense and bullshit. Yeah. 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 We're the target, aren't we, at the minute? Um, it's just, like I said earlier, it's just with so many different, so many different reasons to just bash the club. Uh, I mean, and Martinez as well. He, he, uh, I mean, he can't wait to get in front of the cameras and talk about it himself, can he? You know, he needs, he's constantly talking about how roughly he was treated. Like, he's just just get over it, mate. You know, get over it. Well, he's doing all right now. He's you know, he's got yeah. the jag in the drive and the, the <laughs> free lifestyle. What's his problem? He's, he's I know. Out, out crying into his own swimming, just like, filling yeah, out just that jealous ex girlfriend. Cute. On the subject of Emmy Martinez. Um, Playing devil's advocate, the post-match conversation was about Newcastle having a penalty decision chalked off at 2-0 yeah. down. Um, Martinez fouled Callum Wilson. Did you see it? Yeah, I did, yeah. yeah. My God. Yeah. <laughs> American yeah. football, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, should have been given. Um, well, apparently the VAR, aren't they supposed to be moving away from those kind of decisions? You know, those... Uh, it was a clear penalty, wasn't it? You yeah. Know? Um, Without a doubt. And, you know... Red Kardowski, I thought. I think it was as blatant as the foul on Saka against Chelsea. You know, 
that was a that was a penalty, you know. Um, but Richard Tees had a really interesting uh, sort of comment. Uh, I I knew it wouldn't last. What a joke at Villa. Newcastle definitely should have um, should have had a pen against them after the assault by Martinez on Wilson. An assault. That's what he's put in there. Yeah. He he didn't pull his punches. Um, did you see Jurgen Klopp on uh, on Facebook during the week? Uh, he was on about the Leno, yeah. uh, the Brentford second goal, and he was on about mm-hmm. Leno being held. And it was quite an interesting conversation because yeah. Klopp's one of these guys. He's an out-and-out football head, isn't he, really? Mm-hmm. doesn't need to get involved. But he, he asked the press at his own conference yeah. what he thought yeah. about it, which I thought was really neat. Yeah, yeah, he's... Yeah. He's another one that um, finds it difficult to hide his disgust for the media. You know, he, he doesn't like talking to the to, to reporters, does he? Um, and he's he's a. I've always liked Klopp. Um, he's a captivating kind of guy, isn't he? You know, he's he's he's. Um, but that was an interesting uh, interesting uh, piece. Um, but. Uh, when I got questioned on these transfers, uh, I think the question came up, are you happy And uh, you know, with the transfer mm-hmm. business that we've done? And uh, there was a lot of negative stuff. And I said, I yeah. think so. Odegaard alone uh, should have cost between 40 and 45 million. Uh, we've paid over the odds for white, but mm-hmm. you kind of expect that. But Ramsdale uh, could actually be a snip. Laconga and Tavares... We'll bring in top dollar at some stage if we have to sell them. Yeah. You know, it's it's you, you you're kind of spending minimal, and as I say, it goes back to the Wenger era, really, where we we kind of went round and found these players. Thierry Henry, eleven point five million. Yeah. What did we sell him for? Mm-hmm. Yeah, handsome, yeah. Wasn't it? I think it was just. Um, I think it's the have we done enough? Have we addressed enough of the problems? Um, but. The West Brom game, um, if we could, if you don't mind, just touching on that for a second. I just oh, saw Let's go. we, and, and, and I'm hoping it's not not just not just last night, and it's not just down to the uh, the opposition. But Aubameyang seemed to have a spring in his step. He seemed to be a lot sharper. His movement was fantastic. He was getting into great positions. Obviously, his third goal was vintage. But more than anything else, he seemed to be enjoying his football. And it was the kind of performance that um, I wasn't sure. And I, and I suppose this um, this shows how short-sighted I am. <laughs> I didn't think he had it in him or wanted to do that again for Arsenal. I don't, I don't know whether... And it was encouraging. Um, it was encouraging to see um, Pepe, who I thought didn't have a great first half. His head didn't drop and he kept going and he played in, himself into the game. And and Pepe, years gone by, he doesn't. He didn't always do that. You know, Lacazette came on, looked sharp, scored. Um, and they looked like, the players looked like they've got the, the bigger players for us who didn't have a great season last year. And, and a lot of us had written off. I mean, wouldn't it be great to have peak Aubameyang this season? You know, what, what a difference he would make to us, you know? What because was interesting it... about him last uh, last night was um, when he was playing, apart from the third goal that he just drilled in, um, yeah. he was playing in the middle more. 
Yeah. You know, he was finding these gaps and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I, I thought that wasn't in his game. I thought he was just hanging out on the left. And that's why he wasn't getting the goals. Because yeah. his movement wasn't good. The mm-hmm. supply wasn't good. Yeah. But as you say, against West Brom, the movement was excellent. Yeah. You know, he's in the right place, ready to pounce. Mm-hmm. If there was and, anything and, spilt. Yeah. And, and, and he, was, he was dropping a bit deeper. And, and his, his quality on the ball it, was very good. And he was zipping around, buzzing around um, to a level that we didn't really see last season. And that was really encouraging for me. Uh, I thought... Um, Who was your man of the match, by the way? I thought Saka was fantastic. I thought He's the way my he... man of the match, yeah. Yeah, the first half especially. And, and they were trying to kick him, weren't they? <laughs> they were trying to they were trying to take it. And, and as well, he, he seems to have... I, mean, I don't know if it's just uh, my perception of him, but he seems to have grown more. <laughs> you know, he's actually like gained height and he's filled out a bit more. Um, and he looks, he looks very good. He's off the ball. He was, he was fantastic. Dribbling was, was superb. Um, I thought, uh, who else? I thought he was yeah, too hot Ram- to cope with, wasn't he? He was too hot to yeah. handle. He was jigging. Uh, any little deflection came his way. He was off again. Yeah, I thought Ramsdale did pretty well. Uh, made some good, solid saves. Wasn't really tested too often, but he made a good save in the first half where their lad put it onto his left foot and like tried to curl it into the right-hand corner and Ramsdale pushed it wide. He did well for his first game of the season. Um, but it was a, a good performance and it was it reminded me a bit um, of when you'd go, you'd play in a pre-season and you, you would, you'd play some really tough games um, really test yourself, get your fitness up, and then your final preseason game would be against you, a non-league side or a League Two side, and you'd, you'd put four or five past them to get your, your your confidence up. Just going into the new season, it felt a bit like that. Like we needed um, that type of game, that type of performance, and against a pretty weak opposition, just to just to get the good feeling back. And get I'm just going to throw it out there then, so. Played the, our first two games, got defeated, and uh, yeah. looked looked shocking, terrible, yeah. average, ordinary. Yeah, I know the opposition wasn't uh, a million percent, mm-hmm. but the actual commitment, uh, the passion, and the delivery was was it was so far up there you couldn't recognise yeah. them from the first two games. What's yeah. that down to? Well, when you get your best players back. You, you you normally get better performances, right? And um, Yang, okay, he didn't have a, a great season, but he's still one of our best players. Um, and I, I think it's down to that. You're getting your best players back. Um, I think against Chelsea, I think when Yang came on, he, 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 I, I don't know if you saw it as well, he, he looked like... He looked a bit. He looked quite sharp then as well. You know when he came on. Um, so I mean, I don't know. What did you think? What What do you think was the difference? You know, I just thought the hunger and the appetite was there. Yeah, Abamyang was back, but I didn't know how that would go because uh, you know there's certain games where it's just disappeared. Yeah, uh, but I think maybe the general enthusiasm, uh, getting Odegaard to play through the middle. Uh, as you say, it wasn't a stellar game for Odegaard, but he did enough. Mm-hmm. And as the debut goes, I know it's the second coming type of thing. 
yeah. but uh, he did enough to yeah. actually open up the channels mm-hmm. and through the middle. Yeah, and he's got that he's got that um, creative edge about him, you know. And I think obviously they were making a big deal about it on Sky that West Brom play, played with a high line and it plays into Aubameyang's um, hands, but. Erdegaard's good enough to unlock defences that play deeper. Um, and So even when a... we win, they find an excuse of, of how we won it. <laughs> of course, of course. I mean, you could almost sense the disappointment that we were winning at half-time amongst... It was Kevin Phillips and, uh, and Kevin Campbell on Sky, wasn't it? Um, God, you could almost sense how disappointed they were we were winning. Um, but it was a, a good game, very enjoyable Uh and yeah, we've got Man City. Um, the last thing I'll say on the game, um, there was a great tweet from uh, Luke Jobson on Twitter and he said, everybody keeps, I'm paraphrasing, but he said, everybody keeps harping on about the difference in cost between West Brom and Arsenal. And that's the reason why Arsenal won. If Arsenal lose on Saturday, will that be used in the same way? Which I thought, what a great tweet. You know what a great what a great point because the difference will be equally as big as they were last night. So, yeah, what do you think? Do you think it'll be used? I don't. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, you if if Arsenal won two 0 against Man City, there'd be something said of a negative nature. You know, it's there's no getting away from it at the moment. We're uh, we're we're easy fodder at the sec. Uh, getting onto that. Um, Let's go on to Squawk Sport, as I like to call them. Uh, yeah. Jamie O'Hara, that, oh, yeah. uh, that wretched Tottenham, ex-Tottenham individual, he yeah. was on there. And he's saying Arsenal right now, uh, they are banter FC. Odegaard, Ramsdale, Ben White, Laconga and Tavares, they've spent £135 million on a B team. Is their team any better than last season? Over to you for that. It's another example, isn't it, of what, what I was what I was saying earlier about how um, supporters, everyday, regular, normal, if you whatever you want to call supporters, people that uh, that follow football, they just they they believe what these idiots say. You know, I mean, first and foremost, when did Jamie O'Hara become relevant? You know, like this guy, this guy was he was bang he was average. born irrelevant. <laughs> he, he was bang average at Spurs. He was. Crap at Wolves. He was a he was a rub, he's a rubbish football manager. Uh, and I don't know if you've ever. I mean, um, I don't know if you've ever listened to um, the Breakfast Show when he's on with uh, Alan Brazil on Talk Sport. But he gets the he gets the mick taken out of him. He, he's a bit thick, you know. He's uh, and, he, and he's clearly trying to he's trying to emulate Adrian Durham. You know, he's trying to be that whole, you know, jump on the the Arsenal back. I mean. He's he says he's Spurs, but he, he hardly had a career there. You know, he's a joke. Um on the podcast but, a bit later on, what I'm gonna do yeah. is play that. Did you ever see uh I think her name's Laura Woods with yeah. Jamie O'Hara? She's a gooner, by the way, Laura yeah. Woods. Yes, Diane on talk sport as well. And yeah. she ripped him a new one. We're gonna play yeah. that. Don't disappear oh, anywhere, but it's <laughs> worth listening to. Um Fantastic. amongst the other criticisms you got Mika Richards yeah. or Micah Richards um saying that Arsenal can't attract any top players uh, mm-hmm. because uh, they want to go to better performing teams and sadly 
Uh, Ian Wright said they um, they look frightened, but it's true. Uh, yeah. Frightened and lack cohesion, and he wondered what the tactics were uh, against Chelsea in particular. Yeah, Chelsea, yeah, so, yeah. It yeah. did. The first fifteen minutes, I thought we did okay, but um, it was we were we were opened up far too easy. Um, and I, I mean, I tweeted before the game: um, Lukaku against Mari has got Drogba against Sendros vibes, you know, and. I mean, we, we've, we've spoke about Mari before, haven't we? Um, and he's just, he's hes the perfect defender for Lukaku to play against. He's know? a tanned he's so, Rob Holding. <laughs> yeah, but he's also, it's like the first goal, you know, Lukaku's goal, he tries to, he throws himself on the floor trying to win a free kick. This is your centre-half. This is These are supposed to be your big guys. These are supposed to be the guys that win headers at corners and and. And when they're going for these headers, they take out their own players. These are supposed to be the big stinking guys in the changing room, you know. The, and Mari just just folded up like a deck chair when Lukaku went. And it was wasn't a great performance. It looked like um, a grown man uh, getting involved with a teenager on a football yeah. field. And yeah. uh, your money was on Lukaku. I, I actually liked the way that, to a degree. Uh, we contained Chelsea. I think it was a bit more luck than judgment. But after we went in 2-0 down, we managed to get our act together a little bit so it wasn't a cricket score. But Lukaku yeah. is going to score tons of goals just yeah, because he's, of his he's a, physicality he's, and his strength. He's a formidable uh, opponent. And, and uh, Leno made a good, you know, great save from his header in the second second half. But I'm not sure whether... It was Chelsea managing the game out, or us playing any better? Because I mean, we didn't even threaten. I think Rob Holding had a he maybe should have done better with a header in, uh, in the second half. Him, yeah, and, and we should have had a penalty. But in, in in reality, you know, me and you both know, and most right-minded Arsenal sports know, we were never in the game, were we? We never, never had a chance. Puffed and puffed, but uh, that was it. I mean, there was no one to... And and another thing that's um, kind of a a bit of a concern is we're talking about players. Martinelli, Mm -hmm. he's he's had a couple of bites of the cherry now, and I'm I'm not having a go at Martinelli. I really like him as a player, but a bit wishy-washy, you know. I felt a bit for him against Chelsea. You know, he looked, he looked just, he was trying, he was pressing his best, but um, it was a weak Arsenal team and it was a team missing their best players. And we asked Martinelli to um, to play up front on his own against the European champions. Uh, I still think ultimately Martinelli's uh, place in the squad is an impact sub at the, at the moment. You know, he's, he's not, for me, he's somebody, a, a really good option and a really uh, dangerous option from the bench. Um, but as far as a starter goes, uh, I did feel for him. Um, again, I know we touched on a few pods ago, Granite Shaka and how in the Euros, he was, every, you know, many an Arsenal fan were waxing lyrical about how good he was. Again, another big game and another big, just, just goes missing. You know, that's the Granite Shaka that we know, isn't it? You know, and he's playing behind Martinelli. Uh, and it was another big game where we didn't see anything from Shaka. And, and the more, I think the more this season goes on, uh, the more I think per, me personally will, uh, will, will, will regret not 
not letting him go and taking the money because I just uh, I can only assume a... that they give him a little bit of an extension just to to bulk up the price when they actually yeah. get rid of him in the summer. That yeah. these are the long term uh, kind of goals I think that Eddie's putting in place because he could sell him on the on the fairly cheap and that was obvious with Roma they came in and didn't offer the money. Um, yeah. So if he's got another year on his contract, maybe it will bring the big bucks in. I'm just going to close off with um, with this criticism thing about Manny Petit, which was mm-hmm. disappointing. Uh, he said, little by little, I'm losing interest in Arsenal uh, with this way of playing. It doesn't generate uh, any emotion to see their games anymore. Uh <sighs> I can understand the players coming out, you know, the Ray Parlers and all the rest of it. Not these, I've not heard anything from Ray Parler. Um, but, you know, Petit was a legend uh, for me. I thought he was an ex- exceptional player. But it's not really helping, is he? This is not Arsene Wenger's Invincibles. This is not the team that he was in. And if he doesn't no. understand that there's a rebuild going on, there's something wrong with him. Yeah. It, it's, it's like you just said, it's not helpful. Um, you live in hope that if if we if we do start to play well, that he'll he'll start commenting to an equal degree in a, in a positive way. Uh, the difference, I think, uh, is the difference in class. You know, you've got Sol Campbell who who offered himself to go and help the defence out, go down to Arsenal and help train the players and and help to improve the defence. He, you know, he chooses uh, Petit chooses to go a different way and criticises the team. Um, and I'm the same as you. I, I really rated Petit, liked him back in the day. But um, just like everybody else, it's more and more these celebrities or ex-footballers or whatever, they're, they're trying to make a name for themselves, aren't they? They're trying to even even bigger name for themselves, rather. Um, and it's not helpful. But to be honest, do you know, know what I put in one of the blogs? I was talking about Lukaku. What a, it's like a, a, a mobile fridge, isn't he? Yeah, I thought, guy. what an interesting matchup. Him now and Sol Campbell in his heyday. What, <laughs> oh, that would have been. Oh, 12 rounds of that, please. Yeah. Yeah. A big Sol. Yeah. And, and I mean, Chelsea can go and sign Lukaku. You know, it's not, it's not an equal playing field, is it? You know, and, and, and we are, where we are now it is partly down to ourselves. You know, it is down to mistakes that have been made and contracts that have been offered to players and botched transfers and whatever. Um, but they have an owner like Abramovich that can that is limitless spending, you know, and, and we just can't live with that. And we it's have like to make it. sugar of football, isn't he? You're fired. You're fired. You're yeah. fired. <laughs> it just goes around spending. And I, I don't know what the figures are, but he spent an absolute fortune. Yeah. You know, yeah, there's been some dodgy deals done somewhere. Yeah, yeah, some brown paper bag. Changing the subject slightly. Um, well, let's just rattle off. What was your overall out of ten? What would you give Arsenal for uh, the Chelsea game? Um, it wasn't very good. I would give us five. Cool, you're generous. A generous five. about three or four. <laughs> And that was for just coming on, making up the numbers. <laughs> yeah, generous five. Um, yeah, to to wrap up what we've been talking about, um, Arsene Wenger, did you see him at Liverpool? Nice to see mm. two meetings of uh, 
football minds, um, yeah. Jurgen Klopp, Arsene Wenger together to uh, present Jurgen Klopp, Alisson and Virgil van Dijk and Trent Alexander-Arnold and Thiago with trophies for the best FIFA men's award 2020. Mm-hmm. I'd love to have been there, wouldn't you? Yeah. Drop on a few conversations. Yeah, he, it was good to see Arsene looking so well. Uh, he's made for that kind of job, isn't he? You know, representing FIFA and trying to improve the game from a technical side. Um, yeah, what a what a great guy. Um, yeah, there's not much more. We've, we've spoke about Arsene, haven't we? Um, such a such a great manager, and and I suppose it was a shame that Klopp didn't come to Arsenal right before he went to Liverpool um, because there was that rumor, wasn't there? Or there was strong links between the two. Um, when Klopp was at Dortmund, that, that that may have happened, but obviously it didn't. So, yeah, very sad. Well, Jay, we're going to wrap it up. Uh, thanks ever so much once again. And uh, thanks, Dave, for your input. You've been absolutely <laughs> crucial to this podcast. Uh, it's been <laughs> sensational having you on. <laughs> Fantastic. No doubt uh, when I start recording again, it'll, it'll be there pumping out the teas and the coffees. <laughs> it could be here this evening. So uh, we're, we're light on one front. Um Let's just before we go, let's just ask you about the city result. Are you gonna you gonna go for a, a positive result or where are you gonna go? Oh, we we never do well against them, do we? Um I I don't think we're gonna win. And I I I just think they are so far ahead of us um in every department. I'd love to say we could get a draw or, or, or sneak a win. But I can't see us. Um, I just hope we don't get absolutely destroyed. Um, so I think it, I think City will win um, two 0 Unfortunately, how about yourself? Yeah, well, it's it's one of those, isn't it? You've got to be realistic as well. You you don't want Arsenal to lose to to Man City, but uh, the odds are slightly stacked against us. I'm yeah. gonna. I'm just gonna push my luck here. I'm just gonna push my luck because I feel like it's a script. We're seeing, uh, and, and who is it? Uh, is it um, Amazon Prime are doing this yeah. documentary? What yeah. sense say a really bad start, really poor. Um, we do the Caribou Cup and then we we face Man City, the mighty Man City. Yeah. 1-0 Arsenal. Oh, come on. I'm going to push it. I'm going <laughs> to push it up. That. I'll take that, Tom. Let's hope so. Yeah, let's hope so. All right, Jay. Thanks a lot, mate. Okay, I'll see you soon. Take care. We spoke about former Spurs man Jamie O'Hara earlier on the show and he's back again. But this time it's to remind you, the podcast listening public, that he got well and truly owned by Sky and Talk Sports presenter Laura Woods, who just happens to be an Arsenal fan. So let's just set the scene. It was last season. The topic was Jesse Lingard and his possible suitability to moving to Arsenal. Take a listen to this. He got it big time. Personally, don't think there's any point in leaving West Ham to go to Arsenal because I just don't think Arsenal are going to be pulling up any trees in the next few seasons. I can't see them going out spending big money. Um, you know, it should go Tottenham because they're a club who are going to. Hang on a minute. What? Why would you go well, to Tottenham? Well, if you well because go we're to miles Arsenal? above Arsenal. Well, you're I mean, not. You're like a few points above Arsenal. Arsenal at the moment, average. By the way. So average. But you just spent the whole morning destroying Spurs. <laughs> yeah, but we're, gonna, we're on a, we're on a rebuild. Your best player is probably going to leave in the summer. Yeah, this is true. You've got a manager that makes your team not even want to play football for it. Oh, can I, can I throw a little... Your fans don't even want to watch you play. Why would Jesse Lingard want to go there? Can I... <laughs>
<laughs> I bet he has deep regrets about getting out of bed that morning. His self-esteem locker must have been as empty as the Spurs trophy cabinet. Right, that's it. We're out here. Thanks to Silent Dave. Thanks to Isaiah. You can check out his blogs on AmericanArsenology.medium.com. Thanks also to Jay. You can look him up on Twitter as the Borguna. Special thanks to Nick Collins, who was a superb guest. Shout-outs to SoMD, Brandon Murphy. The music was by Soundroll and Def Leppard and a few others. Check out the YouTube version of the show and please like, follow or subscribe. Look up the blogs at AskDevils.com or look us up on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for taking the time to join us and we'll see you next time. Stay safe and well and remember, North London is red. Thank you.